0: Well, good morning. Welcome. My name is Will. I'm on staff here at MCC and it is truly my honor to be here with you guys this morning. I'm glad you guys are here. It's wonderful seeing your beautiful faces. Most everybody's beautiful face this morning. I'm glad that you're here. No, it's it's true. We are so glad to see each and every one of you. If you're tuning in online, Uh, We are so glad that you are here. Uh, Make sure you comment, engage with us, let us know who's watching with you, where you're watching from. Um, We are just thrilled that you're taking time out of your day to worship with us as well, wherever you're at, um, here or online. Uh, If you are new, if this is your first week here with us, or if you've been coming for a while and you want to get more plugged in and engaged and have questions or volunteer or serve or whatever it is, I'd like to ask you just to take out your phone and text the word WELCOME to 804-404-9430, it should be on the screen, maybe to the side or where you're watching from on the computer screen, um, but just love a chance to connect with you, to engage, answer any questions you might have. Before we dive in today, I just want to say a huge thank you to all of you guys who gave financially or bought items from the, uh, the apartment wish list from Amazon for our friends at Caritas. Uh, Caritas is a homeless ministry in richmond that we have supported for the last several years and they have shifted how they do things over the last um, i think this has been in the works for the last several years but they finally have built one building instead of asking churches to house homeless for a week at a time in different places now they've built one building or renovated one building and we had a team uh, who went and took the donations that you bought and put them in the house and set it up for this this family and they prayed over the apartment um, they heard a little bit about the family that was going to live there. Uh, it, was, it was just awesome. We got some pictures. We're going to share that on social media uh, later this afternoon, so make sure you stay tuned for that. But I just want to say thank you, because as crazy as this year has been, it still shows us that you guys care, that you want to give back. And for that, I just want to say from the depths of my soul, thank you, thank you, thank you, because I know this year hasn't been easy. I know for many of you it's been difficult, and it may or may not be COVID-related, but it's been a rough year, amen? All right, some of you think this has been a rough year. I was part of one of the life groups, uh, we're, we're, I'm a part of two, my wife and I are part of two life groups that meet every week, and, and during one of them this week, it, re, it dawned on us, how many of us prayed for 2020 and got exactly what we prayed for? Think, think about it for a moment, minute. How many of you are willing to admit that last year you prayed for your schedule to slow down a little bit because you were too busy. Yeah, some of you are feeling guilty inside because I don't see any hands up, but I know you are. I know some of you pray for that. How many of you last year prayed for more quality time with family? Okay, so one person's is willing to admit it. Okay, I I just I I've heard these prayers. I've heard people say that they're they're so busy, they wish things could slow down, they wish they had more time with family, and I'm sure God is up in heaven scratching his head, saying, I gave you what you wanted? What's wrong with this? And I just got to laugh. For the last few weeks, we've been in the book of James, and we've seen how James, the half-brother of Jesus, has this up-close and personal view to see the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he writes this letter to to Christians, to the church, during a time called the dispersion, when Christians are scattered, they're, they're under persecution, it's not an easy time to be a Christian. And we thought this would be a good book to go through because of some of the similarities between the, the culture that James is writing into and ours today. Now, we don't experience persecution the way they did in James' time, but it's not always easy to be a Christian in our world. You would think that James would have a word of encouragement. You would think that James would say, hey, I know it's hard. But stay strong. I know it's hard, but God is faithful. Remember his faithfulness. Remember the strength of God, how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. You would think that this book would be full of encouragement, but it's not been, has it? James keeps pushing his readers, pushing the church, pushing Christians to do better. Hey, I hear that that these things are happening and they shouldn't. Hey, you know that, that in your faith, this is what it means to live out your faith well. And he keeps pushing them to strive for a deeper faith. And again, imagine he- God in heaven thinking, you guys pray for a deeper faith. You pray for a chance to strengthen your relationship with me. And then you get mad when I give you an opportunity on a silver platter. And we don't realize what we've been given. Because at the end of the day, the way we strengthen our faith the, way faith, the way we build on our relationship with Christ is often through tough times. That we learn to depend on Him more, that we learn to lean on Him more. I know that a few of you have mentioned how the last few weeks in James have just been one slap across the face after another, that, that the words James has to, for us, are they're challenging, they're hard to hear. I'd like to make you aware that Today, it's not a slap across the face. It's a punch in the gut. I spend a lot more than 30 minutes preparing for these messages, and it has hit me hard this week. So I just want you to strap on your seatbelt and get ready because the word James has for us today, it's a challenging one. We're in James chapter 4, and beginning in verse 1, reading the first four verses, he says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source... Your pleasures that wage war in your members, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I read this and it just cut like a knife. We're like spoiled children, distracted by shiny objects everywhere we look. Ooh, there's this. Ooh, there's this other thing. This latest, greatest invention. This new technology. This new shiny car. Whatever it is that eventually fades and rusts. And we have been adopted into the family of God. We are called to care about not things in this world, but the things of heaven. And James tells us that because we've been distracted by this world, because we've become friends with this world, the things in this world, we've made ourselves an enemy of God. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to make us feel okay about it, but because we've been distracted by the things of this world, we've made ourselves an enemy of God. You know where I see this the most? Social media. It's like somebody has found a verse in here that I have yet to see, that you must be a Christian all the time, except when you're online. You you go online, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, whatever the latest one is, and it's like people's true colors come out. And you see exactly where their heart is, exactly what they care about. And I'm not talking to anybody in particular in here. I'm not referencing anything specific. Don't think I'm calling just you out. I'm calling the, the whole church out, the church Big C. Church. you guys here, down the road, across the country. Any Christian has access to social media. It's like we lose our mind and forget that we are supposed to be representing Christ. And our heart is revealed. And it reveals selfish ambition, self-centeredness, lust, greed, jealousy. And it's clear that we've become friends with the world rather than friends with God. And James is clear. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. You know, we can't have our foot in the world and in the kingdom of heaven. We can't be straddled trying to live in both places. Yes, if we're part of the kingdom of God, we have to live here for the time being. But it doesn't mean that we're part of the world. That we are distracted and enticed by everything the world has to offer. You know, many of you may not know that my sister and I were actually born in England. My parents, while they were there, got their permanent residency, meaning they planned to be in England for a long time. And what that also allowed is for when my sister and I were born, because they were American citizens, we got our American citizenship, but we also got our British citizenship. And a few years back, my sister thought she might be going to England with some friends and taking a trip, so we thought it would be cool to apply for our British passports. So I have two passports at home, my American passport and my British passport. I did a little bit of research and realized that you too can be a part of another country. You can buy a citizenship to another country for as little as $250,000. Who doesn't have that, right? Some countries, though, they're a little bit more expensive. They get up to $350,000. And, you know, for 98% of the world, there is no problem having more citizenships than just to one country. It's never impacted me. Probably will have it till the day I die. That's not the way it is in the kingdom of heaven. We cannot choose to both be a citizen of heaven and a citizen of this world. It doesn't happen. It doesn't work that way. They're two at odds with each other. We can't both have a foot in heaven, a citizenship in heaven, and want to be there and want to be friends with God and belong to this world and find our home here and be enticed and distracted by the things of this world and pursue the things of this world. It just doesn't work that way. And God has called us as His children to be with Him. He is pursuing us. He wants us more than anything to choose to be with him. And James describes this as it goes on in verse 5 to say, Do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit he's placed within us should be faithful to him. He doesn't want us to have a foot in both places, he doesn't want us to have citizenship in both places. He desires that the spirit he placed within us is with him. One of the translations translated that word passionate with jealous, that God is jealous that the spirit he has placed within us should be faithful to him. If you read this book from cover to cover, what you see is God going to extraordinary lengths to bring his people back to him. Is to bring us back to him, that he is willing to do whatever it takes to restore the relationship between us and him and to be in a relationship to, to enjoy, for us to enjoy heaven with him one day. For us to be able to have our citizenship in heaven and not in this world. And we don't do too good with that. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. My guess is that you've been distracted by things in this world. And so James continues to say, Because of this, the way we make it right before God, in verse 7, So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is the key. If you highlight or write in your Bible, I want to encourage you to highlight this verse here, especially the first part of it. So humble yourselves before God. You know, I've stood up here before and I've told you guys that I'm still fearing this thing called faith out myself and I'm not always going to get it right. Therefore, you should work out your own faith with fear and trembling. You should be in this book because I'm not always going to get it right. And so it's time I apologize because... I've gotten something wrong. For the longest time, I thought of this word humble, this word humility, as not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often, right? How many of us have heard that at some point in time? Someone has posted that on social media or quoted that from the stage, from the pulpit, that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less often. And as I looked at that word, seeing that this is the key to this passage, passage that James points out, I think I got it wrong. I think that humility is thinking of ourselves less often, but I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. And I think the first part of that is radically wrong. I think humility is thinking less of ourselves. See, as I did a little bit of research into this word humility and humble, I came across a passage in Second Corinthians chapter 12. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, there's this word humble. And it says in one translation, may God humble me before you. God may. God may humble me before you. But if you look in another translation, it's humiliate. God may humiliate me before you. Come to find out, these share the same root. And I think that the word humble and humiliate have a lot more in common than we're comfortable with. I thought about it this way, I think if I humble myself, it looks very similar that if I do the same things I do to myself to someone else, that's humiliation. If I take it upon myself, I realize a wrong that I've done, so I humble myself to go apologize or to go make it right. It looks very similar to Humiliation, if I do it to you, if you've done something wrong, if you're a little too big for your britches, if you need to be knocked down a peg or two and I do it to you, that looks a whole lot like humiliation. For example, if I sin against my wife, if I do something wrong, that is a relationship I care more about than anything else. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to make it right. If she says that I need to run a marathon without stopping to make it right, you will see me jogging at a pace slower than a walk for 12 days straight because that's how long it's going to take me to do a marathon without stopping. I know that might be a little vague, but let's think about it a little bit more realistically. If I cheat on my wife and she finds out about it on her own, that's not going to be good. And she's going to talk to me about it. She's going to yell at me about it. And I'm going to be humiliated. But if I'm convicted of what I've done is wrong, and I go to her and apologize, and I take ownership and I do whatever I can to make it right, it's still going to be rough. It's still going to be hard. But there's an attitude of humility, recognizing my sin and making an effort to make it right. If she finds out, she's going to go tell the elders and the elders are probably going to make me tell you because I've got up here and I've talked about marriage and I've talked about faithfulness and, and I can't stand up here before you guys with a pure heart of if that's going on at home. And it looks very different for an elder to stand up here with me and say, Will has something he wants to tell you. He has an apology he wants to make. Or maybe they let me go and they, they share that or I'm just dismissed immediately and you guys don't know why. It's humiliating. But if I can take ownership, and if I go to the elders on my own, if I stand up here before you and say, I've made this mistake and I need to make it right, it's still hard. It's not easy. But it is a humbling process. If I embezzle from the church, it's a lot worse if someone else finds out about it and, and takes action before I am convince my soul that I've done something wrong and and do it on my own. I come forth on my own. Humility and humiliation have a lot in common, and I think this is what James gets at in chapter 4, verse 8. He says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, for your loyalty is divided between God and the world, because we've been divided, because we have not been loyal to God, friends with God, because we've been distracted by this world, we are to wash our hands and purify our hearts, meaning that, that there is a physical, physical sin that we have to make right. That is, as we've been distracted by this world, we've turned away from God and misuse of our finances, Maybe in our marriage, maybe we've been rough with people in just personal relationships, that there is a physical mistake and sin that we have to make right. But it's not just the physical, we have to purify our hearts, we have to purify the inside. Because it doesn't just start with actions, right? It just starts in our heart. That we were led away from God by selfishness, by self-centeredness, by lust, by jealousy, by hatred, by whatever took root in our hearts first, that we not only have to make it right with the world and, and with people around us that we've sinned, but in our heart before God. And that's where I think we've we've got it wrong for so long. You know the big sins of cheating or embezzling We can look at those and, yep, wrong is wrong and there needs to be restitution and you need to make yourself right between yourself and others and yourself and God. But, But then there's the hundred little sins every day that we find ourselves enticed by the world and what the world has to offer. There's the hundred little lies that we say every day to save our own skin, to protect ourselves, again, rooted in selfishness, that for too long in the church has been... Oh, there's grace for that. You don't have to worry about it. There's forgiveness, don't worry. That's what Christ went to the cross for. God still loves you. don't worry about it. And while all those things tr- are true, they've lessened the impact of what our sin has done between us and others and us and God. And James says, in verse nine, "Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow. And deep grief let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy when we have chosen friendship with this world over friendship with god it should break our heart every sin we have ever committed should bring us to tears realizing that christ went to the cross for that sin that everything we've done led to jesus being crucified for us And if that doesn't bring you to tears, then you're missing the gravity of your own sin. And it is so easy sit in the same chair, the same pew, week after week, year after year, and inevitably it just doesn't become such a big deal anymore. As I looked more into this word humility, one passage stood out more than any other. And I think is the perfect example of how humility is also humiliation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 8. It says, And being found in human like in human form, he Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, now look at look at that passage and, and change the word humble out for humiliated and being found in human form he humiliated himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on the cross anyone else does to Jesus what he allowed happen to him and it would have been called humiliation he was beaten he was spit on he was whipped with with the the edge of the, the ends of the lashes being uh, tied down with bone and glass that when they beat him it would rip out chunks of flesh They said, oh, you're the king of the Jews. Well, let's give you a crown. And made a crown of thorns and pushed it onto his head to the point that blood was coming down his face. And then after all that, made him carry his own device to kill him up to the place where it would happen. A very public place where everyone walked by. And they nailed him to the cross as they put the cross in the ground for him to be killed. And put a sign, not identifying who he is. Here's your king of the Jews humiliating Him in front of others. But because He willingly did that for you and for me, we call it humility instead of humiliation. That He willingly went to the cross for you and for me to have a relationship with us so that we could be restored and have eternity in heaven, that we could have citizenship in heaven instead of in this place. As I thought more about this word too, it's not just when we sin, it's not just when we make mistakes. I was reminded in the Old Testament of David, King David, as the Ark of the Covenant, which was a central piece of of the temple where God dwelled with his people in the Old Testament, as it had been captured and it comes riding back, back into the city. He was so excited that he was just in his underwear. And he went out into the streets and started dancing. And his wife criticized him because of this. And he said, I will become even more undignified than this. Because he was so excited about the art coming back to the city. James talks about the sin and the, the sorrow of, of self-centeredness. And the roots of evil that take, take hold in our hearts. But I ask you, as a Christian, how far are you willing to go to be humiliated for the sake of Christ? Maybe it's a sin in your life. Maybe it's something that's been eating away at you, and and you need to make it right. Maybe it's just that you are so excited about what Christ has done for you that you don't care who knows. You don't know how foolish. You don't care how foolish you might look. that you're just gonna praise him. You're just gonna worship him. You're just gonna do crazy things that people would look and say, Why in the world are you doing that? Because I'm thankful of what my Savior did on the cross. And this is why it will never work, because to the world, that looks foolish, it looks humiliating. But we are not citizens of this world. We are citizens of heaven. And we must not choose friendship with the world. We must choose friendship with God. We're going to take a moment now to pause and reflect. And I want you to look inside of you for the last week, the last couple weeks, and ask yourself if you have humiliated yourself for Christ if you've done something out of sheer thankfulness or because you have been brought to your knees in tears and weeping because of your sin and in an effort to make it right you've done whatever it's taken to be right before God as you came in there were little cups that we could, we're could. we going to pause and take communion on, and this is what I want you to think about during this time and I want you to say thank you to the king of the universe who sent his son to be humiliated on the cross. And, and then take the remaining time to, to, think about, to think about how you've humiliated yourself for Christ. How you have humbled yourself for Christ. If you're not a believer, if something that I've said this morning, if the word of God has convicted you, or you just have questions, or you want someone to pray for you, I'm just going to stand Right down here during this time. If you're online, uh, reach out for prayer. Um, There are people who would want to pray with you during this time. If you need someone to talk to, we're here for you. Father God, thank you so much for the way you set the example for us to humble ourselves, to humiliate ourselves. To make right this relationship, God, you went to much further lengths than we could ever imagine going ourselves, and yet that's the example you set for us. And so in this moment, God, I pray that you reveal in our hearts, reveal in our hearts how we have sinned, how we have chosen friendship with this world over you, and give us the courage, the boldness, to do whatever it takes to make it right. God, we love you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.